Getting the smile and confidence you've been dreaming about all from the comfort of your home isn't a total mystery with Bite Clear Aligners. Just don't be surprised if all your friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Come on, man. This Ben Jarofsky Show, Benny J Bonus Interview, is brought to you in part by SEIU Healthcare, Illinois, Indiana, the Chicago Federation of Labor, and the Chicago Reader. Benny J, take it away. A bonus time of the Ben Jarowski Show as I speak. It's Friday, January 15th, 2021. Here's the headlines uh, in today's New York Times. Give you a sense of what was going on in the world. Uh, well, there's two headlines. Uh, the big headline, Biden plan calls for $1.9 trillion, uh, And it's all about uh, President-elect Joseph Biden's p- proposal a rescue package to combat the economic downturn and COVID-19 crisis. So it's like the grown-up uh, in politics. And then there is uh, this headline, Beyond Washington, a GOP, quote, totally realigned, which is a political story about how uh, President Donnie Trump retains a strong hold on Republicans throughout the country despite despite it all, despite an impeachment, a second impeachment, despite an insurrection, Despite corporations withdrawing from Donald Trump, they're so embarrassed. That may be the biggest problem uh, heading on in the future, that 40% of the population in this country uh, loves Donald Trump to death. All right. Without further ado, I'm going to ask my distinguished guest to introduce himself. Everybody's been waiting to hear from him. We've been promoting this show all day. So distinguished guest, introduce yourself. Well, hi, everybody. Thanks for having me on the show again, Ben. It's always a pleasure to be here. I'm David Ferris. I'm an associate professor of political science at Roosevelt University, author of It's Time to Fight Dirty, How Democrats Can Build a Lasting Majority in American Politics, and The Kids Are All Left, uh, How Young Voters Will Unite America. Um, And I'm a columnist at The Week. And uh, has anything happened since last time we've been on the show? (laughs) No, nothing's happened whatsoever. There's actually two, uh, I'll put it into two bundles. Uh, one good, one bad, and let's deal with the bad first in the hope that we can end on something resembling a happy note. So the good, which we'll put off to the end, is Georgia, the state of, and the two Senate races. And the last time you were on the show, we were kind of pessimistic, as I recall, about Democrat, Democrat, Democratic uh, chances there. They swept it. Uh, and the jubilation that so many of us felt was so short-lived, David Ferris, because the victory was Tuesday, and then Wednesday was the insurrection. Donnie Trump yeah. convening a uh, rally uh, in Washington, inciting his MAGA cultists to action, and they stormed the Capitol. It's been over a week. I still can't believe it in the uh, – Subsequently, the uh, the Democrats in Congress have pushed through an impeachment, a second impeachment. Oh, my God, we're never going to get rid of this guy, even when we try to get rid of him. <laughs> um, so let's just start with the bad news first, and then we'll end, hopefully, with some happy news. Uh, it was very disturbing to me, uh, David, 
when I the images of MAGA uh, smashing their way into the Capitol because it seemed as though it, it just underscored a point that we've been making for a long time, and that is uh, there's legions of Donald Trump supporters, some of whom are just openly racist, white supremacists, anti-Semites, uh, who feel as though they somehow or other represent the true Americans and they're determined to in, take back uh, their liberties and have a second American revolution, all this violent rhetoric. And then it was put into practice uh, for the whole world to see uh, last Wednesday. And it was, I still haven't gotten over it uh, in many ways. Just your general reaction to what went down last Wednesday. Well, I mean, I think it's, it's a real lesson in the fact that people listen to the president. Um, you know, I think people have a, a, an instinctive desire to trust the things that are coming out of the mouth of the president of the United States because there's no precedent in modern American history for someone like Donald Trump who, who lies just uh, as a matter of course. He gets out of bed, he lies, you know, goes to lunch, he lies, he does a press conference, he lies, he tweets, he lies. It's all lies all the way down, right? Like you could do, just like can't tell the truth. Um, and most, most people who are political supporters are not, they don't have time to compare sources and, and evidence. They, they just think the president is telling them the truth. And the president has been spending, you know, nine weeks now, but even before the election, uh, it started really in, in March when it became clear to the Republicans that mail-in voting would not benefit them. He, he started, you know, delegitimizing mail-in voting. There was the talk about fraud. This goes all the way back to 2016 when he said he wouldn't accept the results of the election, that it was rigged, that there was massive voter fraud, that illegal immigrants were voting. And so he's been doing that for nine weeks. He's been banging the drum about how the election was stolen. He had a landslide victory. It was people in Philadelphia and Milwaukee had stolen it. And, you know, honestly, if, if, I, if I truly believed that, that Donald Trump had stolen the election and was about to take office illegitimately, I don't know that I would storm the Capitol myself, but... <laughs> Right. Like you could see a world where, you know, where tens of thousands of uh, uh, of liberals and Democrats uh, are, are so outraged that they'd consider something crazy um, to stop this guy from stealing the election and, and destroying American democracy. And that's what those people think. And I'm not sympathizing with them, um, but I think they truly believe this. They truly believe that there's that the Democratic Party is a, a satanic cult. <laughs> running a sex trafficking ring. Uh, they truly believe that like millions of people intentionally committed a, a massive federal crime that could land them in prison for 10 years, um, all to put one extra vote into Georgia, um, that the Republican administrators of Georgia, that Brad Raffensperger, whatever his name is, and uh, Brian Kemp were all in on the fix. These, these loyal lapdogs of President Trump just decided one day to steal an election. Um, and this is the result. Like This is the result of the president of the United States spending months and months and months whipping up a fervor based on a, a gigantic lie, a set of lies that are, that are absurd on their face. Um, and, and, and here we are. This is what he wanted. He wanted violence and chaos, and he got it. Um, and he, he seems, frankly, unrepentant to me that the statements that he's made in the, in the aftermath of this were, are either not good or they look like he, he was, like, force-marched by someone in front of the camera, you know, saying, look, if you don't say this... <laughs> You and everyone you know is going to go to jail. So you really need to say something like that. We're going to make an amendment here. You know, Pence, can you believe, I mean, just the stuff with Mike Pence, um, where, you know, Pence and his family were like seconds away from getting murdered by this mob. And Trump is on Twitter, you know, uh, uh, attacking Pence and calling him a traitor, claiming that he has like magical powers to overturn the election when he's just there. He's like, you know, the guy that runs the auction. He's like, oh, like, I, you know, 
millions of people really think that Mike Pence had the, had the, had the right to go up there to the podium, take the, you know, take the electoral votes sent to them by the states, roll them up into papers, smoke them, um, and just like do whatever he wanted. Um, and, and that's, you know, that's the result. You have a lot of heavily armed fanatics um, who, who truly believe this stuff. The president is, is responsible for it. He's responsible for that riot. Uh, it was a very sad thing. It was shocking. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I have as much cynicism about American government as, as the next person, but the sight of these, of these maniacs like crawling into windows and in, in the, in the sight of our national legislature was just wild. I mean, I was a thousand words deep into a write-up of, um, you know, the back and forth about these ridiculous objections. And I'm sitting there watching the TV and, uh, you know, you see people whisk off the floor and you're like, what, the, what, the, what is happening here? Um, never seen anything like it. I felt like I was in Egypt circa 2011. And um, yeah, it's just, uh, it was a really sad day for the United States, honestly. It was, a, it was embarrassing on the world stage. I had people in Germany texting me, you know, like, what's going on? You know, uh, somebody, somebody wrote to me and said, um, why does it seem like no one is trying to stop them from getting in? <laughs> a legitimate question, I might add. <laughs> it really is, yeah. And uh, there's clearly some uh, there's clearly some inside work in the Capitol Police that they're trying to root out right now. Uh, but that's a you know, that's a bigger problem, which is police forces around the country. You know, I think frankly, are are have a lot of sympathy for for the MAGA movement and um, pose a, a bit of a long term threat um, to Democrats and, and their power, particularly in the cities. I there's another story for another day. Yeah. But, um, you know, I, this, this was, it does seem to be finally the straw that broke the camel's back on this dude's popularity. So a bunch of polls out today, have him in the twenties. That's, oh. that's, that's George W. Bush territory. Um, I honestly thought I'd never see the day after four years of, of just total lunacy, uh, one thing on top of another. And he's still in the, you know, it's still in the low forties. Um, I honestly thought I'd never, I never. I honestly thought this would never happen, but his public well, has collapsed just in the last forty-eight hours or so. Well, well let's talk about that. I, I was not aware of that. Uh, I've been on the uh, air most of the day and uh, not been following the news. Yes, I always thought that. Well, I always thought the thirty-three percent would be the low point. I think that's where he was. I, I, I may have just read this in one of your columns. That's where he was after his ill-fated attempt to destroy Obamacare. One of the dumbest. <laughs> political moves just not just i mean just in terms of this like the safety of the country you know the security of the country that's what's right but just politically stupid because clearly people don't want their insurance just snatched away from them in the middle of whatever anyway uh so but even then he was only at 33 percent i figure all oh, omega well, there's like 33 percent of the people david love <laughs> this man for reasons i will not understand but now you're telling me that he's lost 10% the latest. Wow. That's yeah, it's big. I think it's partly his conduct. I also think it's partly what's happening with the vaccine. Honestly. I mean, there's all kinds of people spending all day jamming up phone lines in States across the country trying to get vaccinated. Um, and then they just said, they said, was it yesterday? Sorry. Um, we already released all of it. Gone. There's no more. Um, and so you got, you, know, you got like millions of people who thought they were getting vaccinated this month who don't know what's happening. They can't get an appointment. Every state has a different procedure. It's a complete mess because the states are bankrupt and, and the public health officials are exhausted. Um, and this dude just quit his job like 10 months ago. Yes. And this just kind of let us, like, not that he ever really did his job, but I mean, you know, even, even the baseline eight minutes of work he put in a day is gone. Um, he's just, he's just spending most of his time hallucinating and eating cheeseburgers with the, my pillow guy. And so um, that's not going to cut it in terms of like rolling out the, the biggest logistical challenge I think in American history, this is the biggest logistical challenge we've ever faced. 
it's not just a vaccine, it's a two-shot vaccine that requires cold storage. Um, and, and a lot of people are skeptical of it. You gotta get, you know, you gotta figure out who gets what when. Um, and some states have been doing better than others, but the reality is it shouldn't, you know, it's the same thing with the with the whole mess, the whole pandemic mess, right? It's it's we just dropped it into the laps of the states um who've who've been, you know, looted for the last 30 years under under this sort of like Reagan. Uh, uh, ideology that's been governing this country for so long. And you, you, this is what happens when you hollow out government, when you hollow out public administration, and you have a guy who doesn't want to do the job, who's just like too lazy to do it, and, and yeah. too to do it even if he wanted to. And so I actually think that's hurting him too. But it's just nice to see. It's nice to see a number starting with a two on his approval rating. Yeah, I'd like to see single Bush. You know, I'd like to see it in single figures. That would be really nice. Uh, I would like to see it at zero. I think the man is <laughs> insane. And let's let's get to this. Uh, your last essay for uh, of the week uh, was examining the reluctance of Republicans to take a stand against Trump, even now. And I just let's for a moment pause just to think about what you uh, that riff you just went on, which was a really good one. The recitation of all the insane thing he's done since the election. I mean, just the repeat repeating the lie that the election was stolen from him, and then once again ushering a, a legislators from Michigan into the White House to try to strong arm them into changing uh, the electoral vote of Michigan, calling Michigan a board of election officials, calling Georgia board of election officials, calling the Secretary of State. I mean, it's such it's blatant lawlessness, uh, and. That in itself would be grounds for impeachment. Then the icing on the cake is last week's insurrection. And yet, David, and yet, as you pointed out in your essay, when the Republicans, when the congressman reconvened after the riot, uh, what was it, two-thirds of the, the Republicans in the House voted to uphold his bizarre, fantastical myths about an election being stolen and now they're still crying like little babies about the impeachment it's incredible and, yeah incredible. please because explain that to me why why they cling to him it's just it's it's fear it's cynicism you know um i i, I was on i have one republican friend in the whole world um and i was <laughs> he works in he works in the senate um, for a republican and i was talking to him a couple days after the riot the insurrection whatever we're calling it and I just said, how can I, I just, I don't know. So you have to explain to me, how can, how can these guys not break with him at this point? Um, and he said, look, you know, even people in safe districts, you know, they don't want a primary challenge. You know, they don't want somebody pouring a hundred million dollars into the race. So they just kind of get along and go along because they want to be reelected. That's their, that's their primary goal. And Republicans at this point, you know, what the, the 435 seats in the house, probably 375 of them are just, are just straight up safe. You know, let's say 350 to be charitable. Um, and so in that, that when that's the setup, you don't fear the general electorate, you fear the primary voters because every single member of the house gets a primary, if, you know, if somebody wants to run against them. Mm -hmm. um, and in, in these districts where Trump has um, simply brainwashed his constituents, if you're, if you're one of the Republicans that says, this is, this is a bridge too far, uh, to Biden and Harris won the election, sorry. I didn't want them to, but, but they did. And that's the reality and that's the constitution. Um, suddenly, you, you know, people are making threats to your family and um, saying they're going to murder you and staking out your house. And um, and, and then you're going to get a primary challenge from from one of these, you know, one of these crazy people that's going to be bankrolled by, I don't know who, Eric Trump or something. 
And uh, you don't want that. I mean, you just don't want it. And so I think a lot of people just make this cynical calculation that says, I know this is wrong. Uh, I'll tell a reporter on background that this is wrong, but I want, I, I want my seat in 2022. Um, I don't want the, I don't want the threats and harassment from this militarized radicalized mob of people that the president has whipped up and he'll be gone in a month. So what does it matter? And that's the, that's the calculation that has produced this problem in the first place, right? Is, is every Republican elected official, unless they say I'm, I'm leaving, <laughs> I'm leaving. I can finally see the truth here, which is that Donald Trump is a bad person. Um, unless they're leaving, they can't, they can't make a stand. And because they can't make a stand, it allows the president to continue behaving the way that he does. And in fact, it encourages it because every time um, he is not in fact held accountable um, by the people, the only people that really have the ability to do so, which is other Republicans, um, it, it only it only just deepens that incentive structure for norm breaking and rule breaking and, and violations of his oath of office, um, and it's it's like this vicious cycle. We've seen it again and again and again during the Trump years. He does something that's like just objectively crazy, or objectively impeachable, objectively an abuse of power. And what Republicans do, um, you know, there's a, there's a little bit of wavering at first, and people are like, "Ooh, kind of bad." Um, I don't know, remember Jason Chaffetz saying he couldn't look his daughter in the eye after the Access Hollywood tape. Mm-hmm. Two weeks later, voting for Trump. I guess he couldn't look. I just didn't look right at it. I, I, I don't know. Maybe just wrote her a note that said, <laughs> um, yeah. but it's, you know, people, I think the instinct, if you're a, if you're a rational, sane person, you don't, you don't believe the Democrats are a satanic cult, um, which I think is, uh, you know, uh, 205 out of the 211 Republicans in the House know that this is all insanity. I think there are six or seven people who are actually this crazy, but most of them know this. Um, and and so they they absorb this new news and like wow this is it you know and then they get the polls and then they get they get the calls from the constituents and then they get the the, the, the harassment and they say I don't want to deal with this you know I didn't come to Washington to to, to have people threaten to murder my family all the time <laughs> uh, so I'm just gonna I'm just gonna you know fine just let them do it we'll get the tax cuts we'll get the judges right and and that cowardice that five years of cowardice on the on the part of almost every single elected Republican in this country has brought us to the point where Democrats in Congress are afraid they're going to get murdered by their own colleagues on the floor of the House. Democrats in Congress believe, I think with some reason, that there is a handful of Republicans who were cooperating with the insurrectionists. I can't believe, can you believe we're sitting here having a conversation about insurrectionists in the, in the, like in, in the year 2021, in the middle of a pandemic? No. Uh, like, what is this? The game is civil, like civilization? Like, nuts. Um, it's just, just nuts that we're having this conversation. Yeah. Nuts that only we only have 10 Republican votes in the House. For- I know. Ten votes. Ten votes. Ten votes. Uh, and they were all scurrying <laughs> for the basement or wherever, uh, you know, whatever the hideout was, where they uh, reserved the right uh, to infect their colleagues uh, with the virus because they didn't want to wear a mask. All right. So you raised a very interesting question in your last call. Uh, and it has to do with the uh, the lunatics who are elected. I'm not talking about the lunatics in the mob, you know, uh, who f- just believe whatever the president says, do- does whatever he wants. I'm talking about they're now Congress people. You got Mary Miller from downstate Illinois. I just wrote about it for the reader uh, who was quoted saying. Hitler was right. And then it took her a while to to back off from that. And even then it was, like I said in my column, the explanation was almost as bad as the original statement. Uh, and you, you highlight a couple of others. Uh, 
the Congresswoman uh, Boebert from Colorado uh, and Marjorie uh, Green from um, Georgia. Talk about the crazies in the Republican uh, Congress. Do you think there's a possibility that they will dominate their counterparts the way Trump dominates them? You know, Trump is sort of leaving. He's, he doesn't have access to Twitter. Let's assume that he fades a little bit. That doesn't mean that Trumpism uh, will fade. Is it possible that the lunatics who are now sitting in Congress as elected officials will take control of the party? It's, it's impossible for me to say sitting here from this vantage point. What they would have to do is form some kind of QAnon caucus of lunatics in, in the House, um, people who have lost all contact with reality um, and, and want to be pushing some of these lines. Uh, I could see them trying. Um, but again, I don't think there's more than 10 or 20 of these people, the, the, really, the really true believers. You know, I don't know if you've ever heard Tommy Tuberville interviewed, um, the new senator from the great state of Alabama. Coach, yeah. He is one of the dumbest people I've ever heard speak <laughs> in my whole life. Um, he said, did you see what he said today? He was like, uh, I don't know why we can't just like push the inauguration back a little bit. You know, there's a pandemic. And everybody was like, you know, there's a amendment to the U.S. <laughs> how long the lame duck period is. You know, it's like, how do you get inaugurated into the U.S. Senate? You've not even read the Constitution. It's mind blowing. You know, fine. Maybe you have to look it up. But if you're going to go on TV, you'd be like, you know, we should just put this off. You know, uh, sorry. You know, like when you cancel dinner plans, you're like, ah, <laughs> you know, yeah, forgot to buy wine. Um, remember dinner parties. So, <laughs> uh, but they're they're very stupid people. Uh, they really are. But there's a, there's a lot of people in Congress who are not stupid, who are, I think are just waiting around right now to see where the wind is blowing, to be honest with you. I mean, I, I think that you can see this in Kevin McCarthy, who's the, the House um, uh, Minority Leader right now, who has kind of become Trumpified. He's, he's gone along with the whole election fraud thing. He's tried not to make an enemy of the president. But you also, it's just, it's like he's playing a role. Uh, he, you know he doesn't believe this. He, he, he's not this dumb. Um, and so I think that Kev, like Kevin McCarthy, keep an eye on this guy because he's not going anywhere. He'll definitely be the minority leader um, for, for a while. And so the, the way that you can see the House leadership on the Republican side going, I think will be a pretty good indication of whether Trumpism is like an ascendant force that will be with us in the form of Marjorie Taylor Greene and Lauren Boebert being powerful people in the party or whether the collapse in the president's support that we're seeing right now, his silencing on Twitter, all of the revelations that are about to come out about what went down over the last four years, it may scare uh, leading Republicans into at least backing off some of this stuff. Now, there's already calls, you know, so the number three Republican in the House, Liz Cheney, who voted for impeachment and issued this really blistering statement about President Trump's conduct on, on the day of the, of the insurrection. <laughs> I just have to stop. Really, it's just every time I say the word insurrection. I know. It's like the Civil War. You know? um, and so she, she put out this really blistering statement. So there could be no, no greater betrayal of his oath of office. Um, and she's, I mean, she's Dick Cheney's daughter. I mean, she's not like a, just a nobody, just a, you know, not like Adam King's Kinzinger. <laughs> Sorry, Adam. But, um, you know, good for him. You know, good for Adam Kinzinger. Honestly, you know, good for him. I'm, I'm glad he did what he did. Um, but my message to the 10 people that voted to impeach Trump is to switch parties and do it yesterday because you, you don't have them anymore. Um, so I, I, I'm not making any predictions about where the party is headed until I see a little bit of evidence under the Biden administration. Um, you could certainly see people like Green gaining power. Um, 
I would like to think that there's a ceiling on, on her support and a ceiling on the number of people in Congress um, who would espouse her views and support um, some of her antics. You know, like when they put the, the metal detector up in, in Congress, because Democrats are afraid of getting murdered by their colleagues again, um, she, you know, she, she ostentatiously showed up at the metal detector with a, a face mask that said, Moulon Lab, which is Greek for come and take it or yeah. come and take them or something, you know, like um, nobody's, nobody's trying to take your guns away, you idiot. They just don't want you to bring it into the chamber and kill someone. Yeah. What kind of country is this that lawmakers can just be armed on, on the Senate and House floor? It's nuts. Um, so I, I have to think that um, that her politics really actually does have a ceiling. And that so if Trump got you know 46.9% of the vote nationally, and, and you, you have to hope that um, that the real number uh, for Trumpism and, and Trump and the, and the green people is closer to 25% than it is to 47%. If it really is up near 47% <laughs> nationally, then, then we're in a lot more trouble than I thought. Um, but I, I do think just, just to be a little bit optimistic here, um, I, I do think there's some chance um, that he's discredited and, and the people that went to bat for him are, are discredited. And, and the real test of that will be how the primaries play out in 2022. Are, are these old line Republicans going down um, to, to people, you know, like, um, you know, high school dropouts like Lauren, Lauren Boebert? <laughs> no offense to high school dropouts. I know many, 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 many very smart high school dropouts, but it's clear that Lauren, Lauren Boebert did not get the education that she needed. Yeah. Uh, well, I'm wondering if every moment we'll have like an honest reflection uh, on the part of Republicans. And uh, I'm thinking of Raffsberger of Georgia right now, who uh, at this moment has been gaining winning acclamations uh, from Democrats and moderates and independents, whatever you want to call them. 60 Minutes, I don't know if you saw it, very favorable profile of him uh, this Sunday. Uh, and and they always make a point of saying, Raffensperger's a Republican. Uh, he supported Trump. He voted for Trump. And, and yet now he just realizes uh, how damaging Trump is. And uh, David, this is one point. Like, when are the Raffensperger's of the world going to look in the mirror and say, what changed? Why couldn't I see this for the last four years? What is different about how Donald Trump is treating me than how he has treated anybody? Yeah. He ca calls him, he wanted Comey, to, you know, let's go back to the first, he, he wanted uh, Sessions to fire Comey. I'm going to get my names mixed up. You know, he was always, here, do that. He, he, so he told the Secretary of State of Georgia, find me 11,000 votes so I can win the election. How is that any different than him telling Sessions, fire this guy? I, I just, the evidence has always been there every step of the way that it's all about Donald Trump, that will trash the Constitution, that will trash all norms, that he's um, a, a tyrant and a bully. Uh, and he wants you to do something that's illegal that you're going to get in trouble. So if they did find those votes, you, Raffensperger, would be like Cohen going to jail. So, like, David, do you ever think there's going to be a moment where even like the Liz Cheney's of the world? Or the Adam Kinzinger's of the world say, come face to face. Susan Collins, God, no, it'll never be her. But they come face to face with what they've been complicit in for four years. 
it just doesn't seem like people are willing to have that reckoning unless they've decided they no longer want to pursue public office or, or be part of the circle of power. And as long as Trump himself remains a kind of a springboard to some kind of power in this country, um, I think a lot of people are going to avoid that reckoning. And Trump, Trump is who he is. He's always been like this. He's like a mafia boss. You know, he's got, he's got the code of a mafia boss. I don't know if, I don't know if I've said, I've been watching a lot of this uh, Italian gangster show called Gamora, which is wonderful. It's on HBO. Um, I, I say wonderful in the sense that I'm entertained by it. It's a yeah. sociopathic show. <laughs> but um, it just, it just reminds me of this. Like uh, there's a, there's an episode where the, you know, this, uh, this aspiring crime boss cultivates this kid to do his dirty work for him. And he has him murder this, this other crime boss doesn't tell him who it is um, and then gets him killed too. Right. Um, and so that's, that's Trump, right? He's, he's so Brad Raffensperger is like um, this underling that Trump cultivated. He was like, you stick by me, I'll get you the power, um, you know, go, go full MAGA. And before you know it, you'll be, you know, you'd be the next governor of Georgia, you'd be a Senator or something. Um, and, it, and as long as the, there were the adoring crowds and the rallies, right. Um, and the money was pouring in and it, and it looked like they were going to hold on to Georgia and that nobody was going to come to Brad Raffensperger's house and threaten to kill him. Um, that was a bargain that was worth taking for him because he wanted the power. Um, you know, he, he wanted to be secretary of state, which is a springboard to, to statewide, to other statewide offices. And so now that it's maybe, hopefully it's clear to Brad Raffensperger that, um, that Trump, it's everything is transactional with Trump. Like you, you can just uh, prostrate yourself to him for years. You can serve him loyally. You can do whatever he asks, legal, illegal. You can use whatever rhetoric the president asks you to use. But as soon as you, as soon as you exhaust your usefulness to the president, he will toss you aside uh, like a used napkin. Um, and that is what he has done to every single person that has come into his orbit. I mean, how many people survived this whole administration? Like three. Um, and they did so by, by functionally being invisible, right? Mm. I, I don't think Ben Carson has made a headline in like five years. <laughs> um, and, uh, and, and I don't know how Steve Mnuchin survived, but he survived. Right? But almost everybody else has been tossed under the bus at some point. Yeah. You can't look at that pattern and be like, you know, eventually that's going to happen to me. Um, then then you, you yourself uh, are complicit in your own destruction. You know, it's like people... You know, like when you're dating someone and you, you, know, you meet their family, keep an eye, like however that family interacts, <laughs> eventually that's how they're going to interact with you. you know? yeah. um, and, and all these people who've been invited into Trump world because they think that they can, they can ride the wave to get what they want, um, just haven't been paying attention or, they, or they, think it, they think the rules don't apply to them. Or they think that Trump will make an exemption for them because they, they serve so loyally. And I would just point you to Jeff Sessions, who was the first person in Congress to support Donald Trump. Right. Did his dirty work, um, helped bury the Mueller report. Right. Like um, did, did uh, you know, while he was still <laughs> the AG, yeah. did everything the president asked of him, except recusing, you know, except um, not recusing himself from that from that investigation, from mm. from supervising it. So he did one thing that the president didn't want him to do. Otherwise, was the president's loyal lackey. Um, and it, it, Trump just threw, threw him overboard. Right? Trump actually destroyed his attempt to get his Senate seat back yes. for no reason because he wasn't, you know, it wasn't 102% loyal to him. Um, and so I just would say to people like Raffensperger, to use your noodle, guys. You know, I mean, this guy's, this, this is who he is. He's going to betray you. He's going to destroy you. He's going to threaten your safety. He's going to ruin your life. I mean, who, who in their right mind would step into a room with, with President Donald Trump at this point and do anything for him unless they want to go to jail or have the MAGA masses sicked on them? I just don't, I, I don't understand it anymore. I really don't. Um, I, I understand 
on a, on a sort of basic cynical level, the behavior of Republicans in Congress. Um, but uh, just to, on a, you know, I don't understand. It's like a, you can you can explain the behavior away without really putting yourself in the shoes of somebody that says, no, you know, I want to get on board with this. This sounds great. This is fun. Let's do this. By the way, you mentioned uh, Jeff Sessions. And let's just take a moment and pause and just really just pause and think about the Trump sessions uh, relationship and how the citizens of Alabama are crazed enablers. Follow me on this. Jeff Sessions was a very popular, unbeatable senator in Alabama, one of the first senators to endorse Donald Trump. Donald Trump repaid paid him for that loyalty by naming him attorney general. Uh, Sessions was foolish in retrospect to take the job, but he took it uh, because he was has this like, I guess this, he's on a mission to make sure that uh, marijuana remains illegal. I'm not quite sure what was driving him, his motivations. Uh, maybe he wanted to undo every single civil rights law that had ever been enacted. Whatever. Uh, Trump gets mad at, at mad at him, fires him. In the meantime, there is a, uh, a open seat in Alabama. Uh, this is the stuff we've lived through, David. Uh, an insane Roy Moore, who's like a pervert running around shopping malls. <laughs> He's too much, even for Republicans. They elect Doug Jones. Okay, yeah. then when his time is up, they're going to have a the election for a full term. That that's too much for uh, uh, Alabama, and they elect this. Uh, coach Tommy Tuberville or whatever his name beating uh, Jeff Sessions and Roy Moore I think was also in that race so that's that's what the do you see what I'm saying Alabama the voters of Alabama this is what's frightening were enablers every sense of sense of the way they didn't respond to Donald Trump firing Sessions humiliating Sessions by standing up for their homegrown Alabamian or whatever they call them no they responded by doing what Donald Trump told them to do and electing the bimbo coach. You see what yeah. the problem is here? It's the people, David, the people. Yeah. I mean, Trump is like the political version of COVID. You know, it's like you, you, you don't, you know, you don't think you're going to get it. You're like, yeah, oh, I saw my, I saw my neighbor die of it, but you know, I'll, I'll be fine. You know, I'm, I'm not going to get it. I uh, breathe very carefully. And that's what these guys all think. You know, they're like, ah, I see, I see what this guy's done to every single person that's, that's coming into his orbit throughout his entire life. He stiffed them. He's ruined them. Doesn't pay them. Um, destroys the reputations. Um, but it won't be me because I'll, I'll be able to go into that Oval Office and somehow maintain whatever smidgen of integrity I actually have. I'm going to, I'm going to cling to that and I will not relinquish it. Um, and it doesn't matter. You, you can cling to that integrity as long as you want. Um, it's not, it's not up to you because this guy's the president. He commands an army of maniacs. And when he turns that army of maniacs on you, it's over for you. It's just, it's just over for you. And no one in Congress has successfully defied the president and then gotten reelected. No one. Well, let me think about that. Uh, that is a bold statement. And first of all, the hard part is trying to find someone who actually defied the president. I can't think of any other than Mitt Romney. And he hasn't run for reelection yet. No. Uh, 
Uh, Murkowski has not run for re-election. I guess Collins, you know, didn't vote for um, Kavanaugh, but you know, I can say no one who's defied the president in a consequential way. Yeah, they knew they had the votes without Collins, so they let her go. Um, on uh, wait, she voted for Kavanaugh. Did she vote for Kavanaugh? Oh my God, I remember the speech. No, she. I'm sorry, she didn't vote for. Sorry, I'm confused. Uh, she didn't vote for Barrett, right? Um, but it was too late to primary her. I guarantee you. If she had decided not to vote for Amy Coney Barrett in like December of 2019, um, then she would have gotten a primary from the MAGA crowd and they would have lost the seat. But I don't think that anybody has taken a, a, a consequential vote defying the president of the United States on something really significant to him and then gone on to be reelected. Yeah. Um, and, and I'm not talking about things like overriding his dumb veto about the military budget, which is just theatrical, right? He doesn't care. Um, I'm talking, you know, you know, the three things the president cares about. If you, if you defy him on one of those things, you're, you're gone. Um, and so one of the things that has to happen over the next couple of years, if they want to rescue this party from this guy, somebody has got to prove that they can do it. You know, some, someone with power in the party has to make a stand, try to disentangle the party from his legacy um, try to unbrainwash their constituents and then see if they can survive a primary challenge. And I, I, I wouldn't make any predictions about that at this point. <laughs> uh, when you look at uh, the impeachment vote that's coming in the Senate, and um, who knows when the, the actual vote will come, what do you think is going through Mitch McConnell's head as he tries to read uh, the tea leaves, you know, to figure out what's the best strategy to employ? Mitch McConnell's a worm, you know, and Mitch McConnell is a worm who cares about one thing, you know, and that is Republican power. That is the only thing that Mitch McConnell cares about. It's the only principle that he's had throughout his entire adult life. Uh, he'll change his mind about particular issues. Um, he'll, you know, he'll sometimes do the right thing. I think as when he's kind of forced to, um, like when, you know, before the insurrection, he gave this speech to his colleagues that was like, you can't do this. This is ridiculous. Um, you know, this is our constitutional duty. Why are you objecting to this? This is going to hurt us. This is bad for democracy, right? But it was, it's, it's always with this guy's too late. And like that speech should have been given eight weeks ago. Um, and so what McConnell is thinking right now is like, what's better for us? Honestly, what's better for us? Is it better for us to convict him um, and bar him from future office? Because it will, I think, restore the public's appetite for bipartisanship and maybe rehabilitate the image of the GOP? Or are we going to get clobbered in 2022 by a bunch of like, you know, people with vengeance on their mind? Um, and then, and then the GOP gets split. That's what McConnell does not want to see. Um, heading into the next election cycle, what McConnell will want more than anything else um, is a unified Republican party that can take back one or both chambers of Congress. And his calculation is always going to be what is the action that, that will be most likely to deliver that Republican majority to us. Now, he's not always right about this, okay? <laughs> he's not always right in his calculations, but I personally think that's always the calculation with him. Um, and that's, I mean, that makes sense. That's politics, right? Like, how can we win? Right? But, but politics is, our politics is not built to sustain this, like, endless challenge from a, from a, a, a brain-addled authoritarian, uh, who's taken over the party leadership. And that's why, they're, they're, again and again, they're put in these positions. Um, my, I've always, throughout the last four years, I've, every once in a while, I've thought, actually, the right thing for McConnell to do here would be to throw the president overboard. And he, he's, he hasn't done it. Imagine, go back to, to January 
2020 in the before times, um, if they just tossed this idiot overboard, put Pence in charge, um, Pence, I don't like Mike Pence at all. Okay. But do I think that Mike Pence would have just could have sloughed off the, the pandemic um, and said it's a fake hoax and don't wear a mask and I'm, I'm going to let the states fight with each other. You know, we're going to do like sumo wrestling for PPE and, you know, I, he wouldn't have done that. Um, and I actually think that Mike Pence would have won. Um, and so if he had, if he had probably, if he had become president and properly addressed the pandemic, um, like every other, uh, almost every other world leader on the face of the earth, <laughs> I think he would have been very competitive and he might've won. Um, now who knows, right? Because we're talking about rewriting history, but McConnell has a chance here. I think, um, to, if he can produce 17 votes to convict president Trump, um, he will, he will produce a narrative um, by which there was a bipartisan repudiation of President Trump, the media will turn the page and we'll be right back to, to like 2011 discussions of austerity. Um, yes. and, and, you know, just let's destroy Biden's agenda. Let's unify together. Uh, you know, let's, let's focus on the real enemy here, which is Joe Biden and the Democrats. Um, and so I'm torn about this because I do think that that was, that that's what would happen if they removed him. Um, and I don't know whether, it's better to, to permanently remove the threat of this man ever running for president again, um, or whether it's better to saddle the Republicans with, uh, with the baggage from, from this terrible period in our history. Um, I don't have a good answer for that. What I can tell you is that that's what, that's what McConnell is thinking about right now. Yes. Um, and in whatever McConnell wants, I think, um, I think he's likely to get, if he wants to produce 17 votes, my guess is he could yeah. because he's still the Senate minority leader. Hmm. Um, and there's probably, you know, a, at least a handful of Republicans don't plan to run again. They're ancient, you know. Um, and then there's, um, there's people that want to stay in his good graces because that's, he, 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 even as, as a minority leader, he, he has a lot of power about committee assignments and um, who gets the money. Uh, are we going to fund a primary challenger to you? People forget how powerful these party leaders are. And so if he wants that, I think he'll get it. I don't know whether he wants it or not. Um, I guess we're going to find out pretty soon. By the way, let's just, uh, before we move on to Georgia, just pause to consider Mike Pence. You've made a couple of references to him, and I'd just love to hear your riff on this. I've never, one of the most unusual human beings I've ever seen in elected office. I've seen a lot of human beings in elected office been following politics obsessively my whole life, pretty much. Mike Pence was as loyal a puppet you can ask for uh, in a vice president. I really don't know of any vice president was more obsequious uh, to the president than Mike. But you could argue Hubert Humphrey maybe for Johnson, but even Humphrey is not as much as Mike Pence. Uh, and finally, in the end, Donald Trump was asking Pence to do something along the lines of what he asked Raffersberger to do in Georgia, which is completely illegal and co completely beyond uh, the rules of the game. And that is to, you know, act as an official uh, in, in a matter where he's literally a rubber stamp in terms of counting the electoral votes. And so Pence goes to this whole thing, uh, David, where he's bringing in constitutional scholars to tell them something that you or I could have told them, which is you don't need a constitutional scholar to know that this is all you can do is yeah. ratify, count the votes, ratify. And at the final moment, 
don't know if you saw this in the paper. The final moment, boy, they leak like a sieve at the White House. Mm-hmm. Some White House person told the Times this. Trump got on a phone and really reamed him. And he goes, are you a patriot or are you a pussy? And uh, <laughs> I'm like, this crazy dude. And Pence went out and goes, oh, I'm going to show you, man. I'm not a put. Oh, wait, I don't know. What is it? Is he a pussy? Anyway, he doesn't do it. Uh, Trump wants. There's this riot. He, Pence, is literally threatened by the rioters. His family is threatened. And even now, he won't invoke the 25th Amendment. Do you figure anybody else whose life, his family's life, was endangered by this lunatic would say, fuck you. You're, I'm getting the last laugh. You're sorry, ass. Not Pence. David, it's one of the I don't know. Is he? Is that passive aggressiveness? I have no idea. When I think about this, it's just such a. Put it put it this way: it's not a normal human reaction. Um, no, no, it's Stockholm syndrome. You know, um, it's it's someone who has fallen in love with their captor, or maybe a little bit more likely, is that Mike Pence when he looks in the mirror, like half of the Senate, when he looks in the mirror, he sees President Pence. You know, he sees he sees himself being competitive in 2024, as most former vice presidents are when they seek their party's nomination. And so he thought this whole time that he could thread this needle, right? Like he could stay loyal to President Trump without having to do anything blatantly illegal. And he was able to do that because they didn't give him anything to do. I don't know if, if you read if you read all the way through that, that Washington Post report about the rift between Trump and Pence. Yeah. And you're like, uh, yeah, Trump didn't give him like a file or anything. And so Pence would just kind of hang around the White House and just like show up for meetings and be like, hey, does anybody need some coffee? <laughs> like, hey, guys, you know, again, like somebody trying to get into the mafia. You know, he's like one of those kids, like the runners that they watch out for the for the drug deals with cops. Um. And so he thought he could get away with this. And what I think he didn't realize was that doing something that he literally had no choice legally about doing, which was counting, just like sitting in the Senate and reading <laughs> the great state of Alabama puts its, uh, I, don't know, I can't think of the number of uh, electoral votes Alabama has at the top of my head. Let's go. It's seven electoral votes uh, for, uh, for Donald Trump and Mike Pence. That's all he was doing. He was just like a, he was just giving a reading you know, and, and because he wouldn't do that, the president decided that he should be murdered. And in spite of that, because all of MAGA world now hates Mike Pence. Okay. And if MAGA world is the controlling force in the 2024 Republican primaries, Mike Pence is dead on arrival. So I don't understand what he's thinking at this point, right? Like you took the bullet for the president in terms of like, uh, you covering up this guy's misdeeds for four years. Finally, there came a point where, you know, your your subservience to the president made unwelcome contact with the law and with the U.S. Constitution, and you did what you had to do, and the president still threw you under the bus, destroyed your reputation with, with his most loyal supporters, and probably tor- torpedoed your 2024 presidential bid, and you still won't whip, you know, eight votes uh, to invoke the 25th Amendment. At least you could be president for 10 days, buddy, because you're not going to be president after this, that's for sure. Um, just, just with the votes, 25th amendment to do it, then you get your own library, you know, um, you get to be former, pre- <laughs> uh, you know, he could be like, uh, Julia Louise Dreyfus's character was president for like five minutes, you know, that could be you, yeah. he's a former president and, and the left would weirdly lionize you probably as the guy that finally pulled the trigger, getting rid of this maniac from our lives. But instead he just, just slinks off because he still wants to be president. Yeah. 
theory. I think Mike Pence knows that the that Donald Trump is is is, is totally detached from reality and unfit for the office. Um, and I don't think Mike Pence is like the brightest guy on earth, but, but, the, but he's not as dumb as the president. And he, you know, he knows, he knows, but he thinks, he thinks this is the path to, to 2024. Wow. You know, people will forget it. I don't know. I'm still the vice president, right? I'll always have been the vice president. Um, and I start off with high name recognition. And if, if I just lay off the 25th amendment thing and get him to shut up for the next seven days, <laughs> not do it again, no more clues, Donald, <laughs> no more twos. By the way, who's more obnoxious, in your humble opinion? It's, uh, Ted Cruz or Josh Hawley? <laughs> I mean, <laughs> if I want to be hung or crucified. Um, I think Ted Cruz, because I find him the more cynical of the two characters, I mean, they're both extremely cynical, you know, Ivy League yutzes who are cosplaying as populists. Um, and so they're, they're both obnoxious and they're both repugnant. Um, I'm going to go with Cruz just because he's been doing it for longer. And also, <laughs> the president did not accuse Josh Hawley's dad of murdering JFK yeah. and, like, humiliate him on the floor of the RNC. Um, and, you know, he hasn't. So uh, Josh Hawley has not, I think, experienced the wrath of Trump yet. Um, whereas Ted Cruz is one of these like dignity rapes who has been, you know, like their, their soul has been sucked out of them by the president. And yet they still stumble onto the Senate floor to tell lies for him. Um, so at, at this point I find Cruz to be a more tragic figure than Hawley because Hawley's just kind of getting his feet wet with being, you know, with being ruined by Donald Trump. Yeah. Whereas Trump, uh, Cruz has been there for a long time. Cruz almost lost a Senate race in Texas, yeah. um, which is really something. And uh, I, I just, it's just staggering to me that he still has loyalty to this guy. But again, when Ted Cruz looks in the mirror in the same way that Josh Hawley does, he sees president Cruz. They see president, they see president Hawley. Yeah. And again, as long as they think that, that playing this game and being a fake populist and um, pretending that you yourself are not uh, an Ivy league lawyer, an elite yourself clerked for Supreme court justices. Uh, let's pretend, let me put on a flannel shirt and pretend I like uh you know, a, a, a chili over noodles or something. Um, as long as they think that that shtick is the, is the path forward to the white house, they're going to keep doing it. So and, until they get disabused of that notion by someone, maybe hopefully the voters, <laughs> yeah. we're going to keep right at it. All right. Uh, let's close on the positive side. Uh, the day before the insurrection, there was triumph in Georgia for the Democrats two Democratic senatorial candidates, victorious, giving Senate uh, back to the Democrats. And I just want to say, David, it was like a, a uh, roller coaster ride with you and your predictions. Uh, mm -hmm. we, we talked virtually every month uh, for the entire presidential campaign. Uh, and But I'm happy to say there were some bumps, there were some twists, there were some turns. Sometimes it looked like the car was going to go off the roads. But ultimately, everything you predicted came true. Biden defeated Trump, Dems held on to the House, and the Dems took the Senate. So pat yourself on the back. Uh, <laughs> you, <laughs> you called it. Uh, it was, like I said, it was, it was some scary moments uh, in the, along the road. But what did you see that happened in Georgia that give the Democrats hopes for replicating uh, in other states and in other elections down the road? Yeah, great question. I mean, obviously, this was not how I expected it to go down. If you if you pulled me aside on October 31st and said, Dems are going to take the Senate, but they're going to lose North Carolina and Maine, 
uh, and all these other, you know, Ricci red states, they're going to get clobbered in South Carolina and get wiped out in Alaska. But the, somehow they're, they're still going to take the Senate with two. So they're going to sweep Georgia. <laughs> I would have been like, get out of my office. You're crazy. Um, so I, I obviously didn't see that coming. I think, um, you know, this, those are very close races in Georgia. Georgia is now, I think, a true kind of purple toss up state could go either way in any kind of election. Mm-hmm. And in my mind, the Republicans made some very critical missteps in the, in the closing days of that campaign. Um, one was, I think, for Purdue and Loeffler. These two, what a couple of cretins, you know, <laughs> just just two, just a couple of bottom feeders, really two of the worst people to ever serve in the U.S. Senate. Just insider traders, ghouls with no principles and no backbone um, until it's too late. I remember after, after the insurrection, Kelly Loeffler was like, maybe I shouldn't be doing any of this. And it's like, yeah, just go run your WNBA team, you moron. Good <laughs> Lord. So, um, but a couple of missteps, right? And, uh, and the president, the president played such a huge role in this. It's incredible. Um, but you know, when we, when we had that relief package and we all got 600 bucks, um, I think I made slightly too much money. So I got $549 instead of $600. <laughs> I love the American government. They're like, I'm going to take time. This guy's $1,000 over the limit. I'm taking $51 from him. I'll <laughs> 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 teach him. <laughs> yeah. Like, okay, whatever. I don't, you know, it's like, we're doing okay. Actually, so I don't need this. I just give to someone else. But, um, you know, they, it was a done deal. They had a relief package that was money for small businesses. It was 600 bucks for everybody, 600 bucks, another 600 if you have kids. Um, and then, and then the big dummy stumbles out here and is like, this is stupid. It should be 2000. Okay. And of course these two lap dogs in Georgia are like, Oh yeah, I like giving away free money to people after a lifetime of austerity politics. Right. They're like, I oh, yeah, good idea. 2000 bucks. I love that. What a good idea. Right? And Trump whips up the whole freaking country. The, what, the 2000 was like, I could get $2,000. This is great. Yeah. And so the dynamic in Georgia came down to this, right? Um, what you were hearing from Republicans was this. They were like, uh, according to subsection four of, of, <laughs> of the 1987 Electoral Count Act, I, I do believe that Mike Pence uh, has the ability to turn over the uh, electoral votes and uh, the sovereign power of state legislation. And the Democrats are like, I want to give you money. You know? Uh, so the Republican message was, we're still trying to figure out a way to overturn the election. Um, and so we can't really agree on how much money to give you. And, and, and Democrats are like, I would like to give you $2,000. And, and it worked, right? Um, and so there is a lesson there for Democrats, um, which is that offering to give people money is good politics. <laughs> I can't believe it's taken my adult, my whole adult life to figure this out. Uh, yeah. Like, uh, so what we're going to do is we're going to tweak the tax code to give uh, uh, people with children an extra $7 at tax day. Okay. Thank me later. <laughs> what if you just gave everybody money? Um, what if I was the person that wanted to give you money and the person running against me was the person that didn't want to give you money? Yeah. Who are you going to vote for? And they voted for the guy that wants to give them money. The, the two guys that wanted to give them money won the election. And the guy, you know, people didn't believe, I think, that Kelly Loeffler and David Perdue um, these uh, lifelong Ayn Rand devotees who want to drown government in the bathtub. I don't think anybody really believed that they were interested in giving anyone to yeah. Um And so it, that, that to me was the big turning point in the race um, where you go back in the polling, it was toss up. I thought Warnick was, I think on the show, I said, I think Warnick's going to win and Ossoff is going to lose. Yeah. I think he says that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I, I will, you know, just to, just to toot my own horn, but Warnock did run ahead of Ossoff by a point. So if it had been one point closer, this, this, that's what would have happened. And we would have been this close to getting the Senate 
and not gotten it. Um, but they, I think they, they alienated so many people. The other, the other factor here, obviously, um, is that Republican turnout was down just, just enough. You know, so it's a runoff and not everybody that showed up for the general election is going to show up for this runoff. That's the whole point of the system. It was like a racist system designed after reconstruction, um, to drive down black turnout by holding multiple elections in, in a short period of time. It's a very stupid system that they have. I'm sure that Republicans are going to do away with it now just because it costs them. <laughs> because if they had just had a normal election in November, they probably would have kept at least one of those seats. Um, but they got too cute by half, and they, they did this procedural nonsense. Um, but the big thing here, I think, is is when the president, again, remember, just go back to the beginning of the show. People listen to the president. And, and the president spent eight weeks saying that the election was rigged, not just that the election was rigged, but that your own Republicans in your own state rigged your own election. Yeah. And still there, and I'm yelling at them. Um, and if you're just one of these, like, low-information voters um, who's like, yay, MAGA, that's great, you know, like, HBO should make a show with uh, Kirk Cameron or something. You know, like, if you're just one of these people that have like, like, cultural grievances and the president has convinced you that, that the whole system is rigged, why would you show up? Yeah. You know? And so there was a drop-off, of, I think, about 4% differential between Democratic turnout from the general election and Republican turnout. And that was the ballgame. Um, he yeah. demotivated his own voters. Um, you know, didn't, I think mostly, most people still showed up, right, because partisanship is, is, is a very strong factor in our politics. But it doesn't take much to, to, to change the outcome of a, a very close election like that. No, it doesn't. No. So that was a major, major own goal by the Republicans there. And uh, we'll take it because now we get to run the country, sort of. I guess Joe Manchin gets to run the country. Well, I was just about to say, right on I was just about to say, because uh, David, the last time we was on the show, was talking about how uh, he was a little nervous about the 50-50 split because Joe Manchin, the Democratic senator from West Virginia, is perfectly capable of going over to the Republican side. Uh, well, I don't know if he would do it permanently, but issue to issue. And to your point, his he issued a statement uh, that he was going to oppose raising uh, the allowance to $2,000. I don't know if you saw that. Why? Why? You talk about unforced error. There's no reason. <laughs> like, nothing good can come out of you saying that. I don't know what is it is. And he kind of backed away from it. I don't know if you saw that. He tried to back away from yeah. it. <laughs> He's a real, he's a real, he's a real squirrely character. I mean, I got to give this dude credit for winning a, a Senate race in West Virginia in this environment in 2018. And I, I think I've said this before, but I love watching ads for other Senate races in parts of the country that I spend much time in. But yeah. Joe Manchin's ads in 2018 were wild. Okay, like you just like, walk around with a shotgun. And like, I love pizza. <laughs> you know, and people are like, I love this dude. He's my, he's my guy. I don't care if he's a Democrat. I love this guy. And he's going out from the face of the earth that could win a Senate seat in West Virginia. So it's like, I appreciate <laughs> the fact that Joe Manchin is still a Democrat. I just really wish that he was not the pivotal vote in the Senate. No, you wish it was 51 uh, to 49. Or, uh, well, it could be that if someone like Lisa Murkowski just says the hell with it and right. uh, goes over. Um, she, I think it's a pretty strong statement that said, I'm not joining the Democrats. But give it time, you know. I, I think... Um, I think what, what Manchin and I think Kirsten Cinema is the other person that I'm most worried about and, and on tough votes is that what they really need to be convinced of, and the only person that can really convince them of this, is their colleagues and the president, uh, President soon to be President Biden. Can't wait, can, can take the elect out of that and just call him president. Yeah. Uh, wasn't exactly my dream scenario a year ago, but here we are. And um, <laughs> uh, is they have to be convinced that their fortunes rise and fall yeah. with, with the fortunes of the party. 
Um, and if they are the ones who stand in the way of Democrats doing something that's really popular um, and or really motivating for their own base, they have to be convinced that they're going to they're going to pay a, a political price for that for that, whether they take that tough stand or not, because our politics no longer really particularly reward mavericks. I think Susan Collins is a major, major exception to that. And I still it's been nine weeks. I still have no explanation to you for how Susan Collins outran Joe Biden by, by 18 points or Donald Trump by 18 points in Maine. Um, but it's rare. It's very rare in this day and age. And, and the reality is those are going to be tough re-election races for, for both of them. Um, and if they want to win, they need to play ball. You know, to, you know, take a couple of stands here and there if you want, but don't torpedo the president's signature priorities. Um, don't be the, you know, don't be the, the 51st Republican vote against universal daycare. Like, don't be the 51st, you know, uh, vote against um, against stimulus checks or, or, or significant recovery measures. And don't, please don't be the, please don't be the person that blocks D.C. statehood or Puerto Rico statehood. Please don't. Oh, be my God, please yeah. don't. Yeah. No. That's a whole other conversation uh, for the next time in the show. Uh, you were urging that uh, for a long time in your book. Uh, why isn't D.C. a state? <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> Yeah. Uh, and uh, the insurrection sure underscores the uh, one of the just from a practical standpoint, uh, D.C. is not even control of its own militia. Right. They have to beg Donald Trump for help in overturning the insurrection that Donald Trump has incited. Let's just yeah. think about that for a moment. I mean, they rewrote the whole governing document of the country and moved the capital for less than this. Right. Like that was why that was the death of the Articles of Confederation. Yes. The siege of Philadelphia. Um, so but, you know, I've, I always focus on the negative with Joe Manchin and we are going to have a big struggle over the over the filibuster and eliminating the filibuster and all that stuff. But I just want to say it is really, really good. It's a really, really good thing that Democrats control the Senate. Like we are going to get some some good legislation. It means if Clarence Thomas retires and I want to wish for his death. But if something happens to Clarence Thomas we get to replace them. Yes. You know, I mean, Stephen Breyer can start looking for houses in Florida. Bye -bye, Stephen. <laughs> I don't know if he wants to move to Florida. I don't know if he's the Florida type. Well, whatever. Well, these like rich uh, Ivy league people like to vacation. Uh, uh, I don't know. You know, he's not going to the, uh, you know, the water parks in Wisconsin. He's not going to the Dells, but here, here, here's what I urge. I urge all Democrats listening. If you're, Live in California. If you live in Washington, D.C. and you want to move somewhere, go to Texas. I've told you that for two years now. Go to Texas. Solves the Electoral College. Boom. Right there. Just move Democrats to Texas. It's over. David Ferris, it's over. And then I'm just going to laugh as I listen to the Republicans suddenly become passionate about the need to get rid of the Electoral College. I'll really enjoy that. Listen, to the re and I'll be like, oh, no, our founding fathers uh, wanted it this way. Uh, they didn't, though. They didn't. None of them wanted this. If you showed that system to the founding fathers, they'd be like, what do you mean? <laughs> That's I, wanted like, 10 people from, I wanted 10 people from Yale to pick the president, not this trash. What are you guys doing? This is weird. You know? All right. Very good, David Ferris. Thank you so much. And uh, we'll probably bring you on in a month, see what the world looks like, see what kind of insanity is out there. And I'm hoping that uh, sanity will prevail and will be happier times uh, the next time we're on, right? That would be cool, Ben, but I would say don't get your hopes up. So, <laughs> oh, thanks. There we go. For the, the gloomy ending anyway. All right. That's David Ferris. I'm Ben Jarofsky. Take care, everybody.
Why? Why? If you Why? have T-Mobile 5G home internet, you might be hearing this Why? a lot. Why? Every time your internet slows down during the busiest hours. Why? Why? Because your network gives priority to cell phone users. Why? Why? Good question. Why not switch to Cox Internet with two times faster download speeds than T-Mobile 5G home internet during peak hours? Okay. Stop the whys and visit cox.com slash 5G home for details. T-Mobile prioritizes certain T-Mobile phone users over home internet users during times of congestion. 